Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything didn't move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we've got joint practice to talk about as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 202. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I sit down with Ben Fennel and Chris McPherson. We've got two more training camp practices to break down, this one against the Baltimore Ravens. Let's get to it now. Everything that happened over really the last few days in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. So, a hot one out there today. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little soupy, a little damp at the moment. I don't I'm know what right to feel. In, it's right air-conditioned in. inside. It's hot outside. My body's all over the place. right now in the, uh, in the studio. But uh, before we get into the show, because we're going to cover a few things here on the podcast. Number one, we've got two practices to we'll kind of re- recap some notes with, both today and yesterday, plus the Eagles' preseason matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll share a couple little thoughts, a few takeaways from there, since you guys haven't heard from us in a few days. But uh, let's start here today, C-Mac. The, the Baltimore Ravens in first of two joint practices it was hot outside you know (laughs) mid-afternoon and they got they went right into it because after like individual stuff and you know and warm-ups it was a run period like they went right after each other it was great to see no fights today it was physical it was competitive very physical yeah but uh it didn't it didn't spill over it was it was a really good competitive practice no it's a great defense to go against no doubt very tough hard-nosed defense and that that's what you're looking for Malcolm Jenkins spoke after practice and it's not trying to be more macho than the other team. It's trying to get good work, good looks against another squad because you look at the starters in this preseason, they really haven't played a whole lot, right. if they played at all. So this extensive work you know, today and tomorrow is probably going to be the most that they'll get against an opposing team leading up to September 8th against Washington. So, And it's not just you know any type of team. It's a tough, hard-nosed, well-coached John Harbaugh football team with the Baltimore Ravens coming in. It was a we we got to watch the offense okay yeah, throughout the course the of the day. Stuff, yep. um, but it it was just a great test for the offensive line. You know, you, you see the depth tested along the offensive line. You know, you're seeing the corners, those those big, tall, long, physical corners. Goodness gracious! Mm-hmm. You know, getting up against Alshon and, and the Eagles receivers, and and you're you're seeing some of the young guys step up to the plate, and you're seeing some of the best like Zach Ertz showcase why he's one of the elite tight ends in the game. Yeah, and we didn't see, like you said, we didn't see much of the defense. So there's three practice fields. The defense, uh, meaning the Eagles defense, matched up against the Baltimore offense on the middle field. So we didn't have a great vantage point. Ben, I know you walk, walked over there a little bit. So when they were doing red zone work, uh, you did get some some eyes on those guys. We'll, we'll get your thoughts on that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, overall, we were watching the Eagles offense against the Baltimore defense. And I agree, uh, good physical unit to get paired up with for the next couple days. Yeah, but it was productive. And it's great when you have two teams that are both trying to work on things and have productive practices. These are two playoff teams. Yep, They're both in the playoffs last year. They have some mix of young players, but there's some veteran presence on both teams. And you don't want those practices where you're just dusting it up and fighting every other rep. Then the whole practice is a waste. You're not getting the work and you really need to. seems like Baltimore really wants to come in and have a competitive practice against a quality team like we are in the Philadelphia Eagles, vice versa. 
I saw a lot of feistiness, but it never kind of got over over the line. It was never to a detrimental kind of right. level. Yeah, no question. I think that was a big part of it. I was going to say it was great from the start because you could tell that both teams were amped and ready for this yes, practice. Yes, I think okay. both teams were excited for it. They were, they were excited. You could hear it even while the Eagles players were stretching and getting ready for practice. You heard a lot of talking and amongst themselves, okay, not chirping at, at the Ravens, but talking amongst themselves. Malcolm Jenkins breaking down the huddle, you know, right before the team period got underway. You could tell that it was like, okay, they, they came knowing that it was going to be a different atmosphere, a different intensity. To even, sp- even like special teams periods. I, I mm-hmm. was out there for the, the Eagles kick return against the, the Baltimore kickoff team. And, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, friendly contact when, when those guys – it was a lot of like pad on pad, like a really good thumping. Uh, and the Eagles actually busted off a couple of nice returns uh, in that drill, which was good to see. And the great thing is, even though they're not tackling to the ground, you still hear coaches chirping to finish yep. and to play with intensity and to come off the ball firing. And it's still the same coaching points. And the second we got out to practice – you know there's going to be a tone setter out there. Who's going to go set the tone for the day? I think it was the second or the third play. Earl Thomas came and thudded uh, Jordan Howard, put him on his butt, and I said, oh, no. Is this yeah, going to be right. one of those days, one yep. of those practices? It was very early in practice, a veteran presence like Earl Thomas. All right, he's setting the tone for how this is going to go, but it never obviously went over the line to any sort of scuffles or fights or anything like that. Just a very physical, feisty practice between two competitive teams. Yeah, and and like I said, it was I thought it was interesting that they started with a run period. It's not like oh, we'll, we'll kind of ease into the the it's normally contact. a build up to the yeah. more physical sessions. Anyway, they yeah. went right into the run period. They had a run period. They had seven on seven. There was a you know run pass. They had a couple different situations worked in there uh it was really uh, it was a fun practice and look with the weather it was not an offensive day I, I didn't we didn't see anything from the defensive field I have no idea how Baltimore's offense did against the Eagles defense but uh it's tough to when it's you know that soupy out there uh to get things going I would say a couple of notable plays uh for the Eagles offense there was a really nice deep ball uh from Carson Wentz to Alshon Jeffrey down the field um and then there were a couple of nice throws uh, over the middle as well he completed one to Zach Gertz between multiple defenders nice route uh, by Deshaun Jackson along the sideline creating separation so you saw some throws from Carson Wentz and even from Clayton Thorson as well. We'll talk about that in a bit. We can talk about that in a bit. I was going to say Clayton Thorson, I feel like the last two days no question. has just looked so much more comfortable. Yes. And I actually was talking to him a little bit after practice, and I said, look, at the time Thursday night, that probably wasn't the ideal scenario where you want to go in for an injured Cody Kessler and play basically the majority, but basically the entirety right. of the entire game. But you get all that experience – not, not for nothing, you look a lot more comfortable. And he said, you know, again, it wasn't the scenario he wanted to come in at, but getting those reps under his belt gives him the confidence, and he's gone out there and he's ripped it the yeah. last couple last couple of days. And conversely, so, it gives the coaching staff confidence in him to maybe give him a couple more reps, get that third-team quarterback in there, or fourth-team, or whatever you want to call him. But now the coaches have seen, you know, the live bullets out there in the game and some throws, and to have the composure in the moments like he had – that just gives me confidence in that player, and you know, to maybe see a little bit more on the practice field and keep building off of that. Look, so Sunday was a 10-10-10, right? Now you know, we we know that you always want to couch it with that. You don't want to go overboard with what you see in a 10-10-10. He threw it better in that practice than I think I've seen. Even going back to – because I watched him for two years in college, his junior year and his senior oh, wow. year at we're Northwestern. Going, we're going college tape he here. Looked, okay. He looked really good on, on Sunday. I thought that was probably the best I've seen him in uh, maybe since that junior season, uh, which was really, it was really good to see. And then he threw it well again today. I mean, he had uh, a couple touchdowns in the first red zone period, and then uh, towards the end of practice – he threw one to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and another one uh, to Mark and Michelle. The one to Michelle in particular, 
that ball came out really early. I mean, he put it in a perfect spot right along the sideline over a defender outside where only Michelle could get it. Uh, you know, he just he just looks comp- uh, more confident and more comfortable back there. Number 39, getting toasted both times for yeah. the Ravens on that. But still, great throws on both of them. Arcega Whiteside was more of a contested catch yep. uh, on like a fade route down the sideline there for the touchdown in the red zone drill. And you mentioned the anticipation throw to Michelle. So, uh, yeah, it, it was just Great, great throws. I mean, we're seeing Josh McCown. Okay, that's – I was just going to bring him up. Yeah, yep. that's, that's the big news. You know, him signing, coming out of retirement to sign a one-year deal with, with the Eagles, giving the Eagles that much more veteran presence, experience, you know, adding to depth at the quarterback position because with the injuries to Sudfeld, with, you know, Cody Kessler, who was at practice today, so yep. he's making steps from coming out of the concussion protocol, but still you didn't know how long he was going to be sidelined for. You want to make sure that behind Carson Wentz that that spot is solidified and bring in a guy who's going into his 18th year of professional mm. football, 17th in the NFL. I think it's 12 teams, you know, including Something the like UFL. That, yeah. it's, it's amazing. But it was, it's been great to see, even behind the scenes, him interacting with players all over the locker room. You know, he and Alshon Jeffrey already have a tight connection yep. from their time in Chicago. They're very, very close. Uh, but Josh is, you know, very quickly making friends and ingratiating himself into the locker room like a veteran would. And then during the stretching part of practice, he and Carson were side by side, you know, going down the field, talking in each other's ears. So that's what he's here for, to, to provide, you know, Carson that, that sounding board, to provide support. And Carson being in his fourth year, right. obviously, you know, he doesn't need, but it's nice to have someone to rely on, to not have to be, you know, the elder statesman in the room, so to speak. Yeah, and also to teach, you know, to teach Nate, hey, this mm-hmm. is what it takes to be True. a backup quarterback. And I think, uh, you know, you made the point, like, during stretch period and in the locker room, like, I watched him during practice on Sunday. He was attached to the hip to Carson when Carson wasn't in there. Uh, McCown was right next to him. And then today, in between reps, he was constantly going back, talking to Doug. All right, what, what do I need to do here on this one? All right, boom. Then the next play, he was in. They was constantly going back and forth. And you would expect that kind of communication. Between well, that's all like 90% guys. of what he's working on here. Right. There isn't a handoff or a run concept he hasn't executed. There sure. isn't a pass concept he hasn't seen before. It's just the rapport with the players around him, the terminology in Doug Peterson's offense, and just having that relationship and the communication with everybody. There's a couple clunky uh, snap counts today, a couple clunky snaps exchanged yep. with the centers. That's what he's working on. The just different details with players he hasn't worked with. The offense, the scheme, the pass concepts, the routes, the handoffs, the footwork. He's been in the league for 18 years. He's got that all down. Now it's just working with people he hasn't worked with, getting the terminology down, and just being comfortable with the players he's around. Uh, a couple other notable things from Sunday. Uh, Nigel Bradham returned to the field, 7-on-7 seven yep. seven action. I don't know, did either of you guys see anything from uh, him? Not yes, not yesterday, but uh, did, did those guys practice again today? I'm sorry, because Ronald Darby oh. also Nigel joined Nigel yesterday, on the second I noticed him out there, he had a PBU, and then he ran down the field, kind of down the deep seam mm-hmm. the very next play, and said, oh, Nigel looks pretty good running yep. around out there. So uh, nothing else too eventful or of a note, but just good to see him out there with the unit. Uh Ben, anything, because I know you, so typically, a little behind the scenes here, we're watching practice together, we'll watch it, but since there was double the action today, you had stuff going on on both fields, 
uh, a couple times Ben and I, you, you, you and I split up. So when you went over to the other side, I know you were there for, for one-on-ones, I believe, some of the defensive action, uh, anything that uh, C-Mac and I didn't see? I saw some of the uh, Baltimore Ravens D-line against our offensive line. I thought okay. they were very intense. They have some very stout bull rushers. They have a big kid, Dalen Mack, who can really handle okay, some yep. of the smaller interior Load. offensive linemen. Well, I was going to say, a big man is like an understatement. <laughs> Pernell McPhee <laughs> is a very interesting pass rusher. He's kind of an edge body, but he's strong and powerful to go up against guards as well. He kind of flew through a big V on a play and was one of the more vocal guys in getting his uh, his group kind of animated. I thought Mulata looked very good in one-on-ones, which you're pretty exposed in those situations. He has no help. He has no chipping. Uh, so it's just straight one-on-one. You're as naked as you're ever going to be as a pass protector. I thought he did a very good job. Nice. I, don't, I don't remember seeing any real lapses uh in the pass protection on those one-on-ones. And then uh, Baltimore's offense, very interesting group of skilled players working in Justice Hill, a variety of tight ends. You know, Mark Andrews had a really nice touchdown over Sidney Jones in the red zone towards the end of practice there. Um, And Lamar Jackson. The ball just comes out differently with Lamar Jackson. It doesn't have a whole lot of... snaps out. It doesn't have a whole lot of arc. There isn't a whole lot of trajectory, but that ball flies out of his hands. These things are lasers, and they get from A to B in a hurry. Sometimes a little bit late in the read. A lot of it like McNabb, how McNabb used to play. Maybe a count late, but that ball was coming out hard, low, and usually pretty on point. Mm. Uh, Just different velocity was coming out of his hands. Schematically, a lot of the same stuff you and I saw watching them preseason. Yeah, pretty much. Carolina option. Football. Yep, there's going to be some zone read stuff, some triple option elements, trying to get some speed option as well. Um, a lot of moving pockets and some bootlegs, trying to get Lamar on the perimeter as Something expected. Something to expect when fans are watching on Thursday night. But the interesting, the, the interesting mix it, yeah. is this offense is kind of like Auburn in that they have some finesse and some speed, but this is a big offensive right, line yep. and they'll work some power football. So there's a lot of power read elements. We are mm-hmm. pulling a guard and zone reading. It feels like Auburn. I don't want to call it college offenses because you see this all over Sundays nowadays, but just very interesting mix to have the speed element, the perimeter players, but the big offensive line, Ronnie Stanley, Orlando Brown, some big fellows. So that's what you can expect to see from Baltimore in the Eagles' third preseason game. Let's quickly uh, talk about just some, some takeaways. Nothing crazy. We're not going to dive too deep into what we saw from last Thursday night, but uh, overall thoughts, takeaways. For me, I thought it was a good showcase for a lot of the Eagles' rookies. You know, We saw a couple really nice runs from Miles Sanders. Uh, I thought Andre Dillard had another solid game. Uh, Sharif Miller made some plays in the backfield. Clayton Thorson, I thought, look, he, he didn't light the world on fire against Jacksonville, but I thought that just a really good, efficient game, and again, just – taking that next step, just continuing to look more and more comfortable. Well, the growth from game one yes, to game two. Yes, no question. Okay, because it looked like the lights were a little too bright for him in the first preseason game. And, you know, whether it was just the the nerves or, you know, just the energy, just, you know, not able to contain it. You right. know, had some high throws. But what you heard from Press Taylor was he made the right reads, just didn't yep. get the ball there. And that's a good sign. At yes. least he's understanding the offense. Now he's getting a little more comfortable where he's able to put everything together. And you have the nice touchdown throw to Greg Ward. Uh, had a couple, you know, number of nice throws. He overall ran the offense quite well yep. throughout the course of the game. I was very pleased with what I saw. Ben, I know when we were watching, you were excited about the just seeing the, the veterans on defense. You saw the Brandon Grahams, the Malcolm Jenkins, the uh, you know the Malik Jackson. Brandon Graham that. definitely flashed, and that poor right tackle, whoever was out there, <laughs> man, he really uh, had his number. It seemed like a lot of those I think plays. Everybody had Mal- his Malcolm like actually yeah. beat Brandon to the ball carrier on a couple yeah. plays. He got an unblock. Brandon had to get through the blocker first. Was a count late, but Brandon was right there. But forget the veterans. I was interested in watching first round pick versus first round pick. This is Andre Dillard against top ten pass rusher. 
teacher, Josh Allen, yep. from the University of Kentucky over at Jacksonville. I thought Diller did a great job against him handling the pass protection. Only a handful of reps because they Allen didn't go against most each other the, yeah, a whole lot. Side. Obviously, they, you know, uh, I don't think Josh Allen played a whole lot in the game yes. in general, but. Um, I agree, though. In the run game, just the subtle movement in pawing those defensive ends off the ball and really watching where their feet start and where their feet finish, that's something I was really interested in seeing in Dillard. And even Malata. Malata had a couple snaps against Josh Allen. Yeah. We know 10-plus sacks in the SEC, top 10 pick. Jordan Malata, second year ever playing football. Listen, he tossed him on a play. Oh, yeah, very he early. absolutely like fourth, fifth tossed yeah. up the field. And then he settled down. I thought he, he handled him and looked very comfortable, and he looked a part of an NFL right tackle against a speedy edge rusher from the SEC. I just felt like that's the type of competition that's going to get both of them better. And I thought they both uh, they handled their assignments. To me, like the 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 run play of Dillard versus Allen was most impressive because, you know, we all talk about Josh Allen, you know, great pass rusher, all that. To me, when I watched Josh Allen the last two years, I liked his ability to set the edge. Like mm-hmm. he was a very versatile player, so his ability to hold up at the point of attack, I thought was pretty good. Dillard moved him a couple times. Yeah. I mean, you saw him displace him. I thought that was really good to see. Going back to pass protection for yeah. a second. Miles Sanders. Mm. You go to the oh, four, no question. You go you go to the fourth down touchdown pass. Mentioned already Thorson to Greg Ward. Well, it was Miles Sanders with the pickup yep, good call. that allowed you know Thorson to have that extra second to be able to get the ball there, and that that's what's going to get Sanders and keep Sanders on the field. Obviously, the his talent as a running back, his ability to catch the ball in the backfield. Very impressive so far in camp and preseason, but you, the coaches want to be able to trust you in pass protection on those key third downs. Miles Sanders is showing up in that phase of the game so far. So uh, and he we did met- that play with some attitude too. That's he one did. of those that yeah. you typically want. You typically want to watch the trenches from the end zone behind the offense. That's one you want to watch from the sideline because you just see the linebacker absolutely stopped in his tracks. Yep. And he really put a lick on him there. Yeah, the forward momentum just, just completely ceased. Absolutely. Uh, so we mentioned Sharif Miller. Some of those other young defensive linemen also stood out. Deshaun Hall continued to flash. Mm-hmm. Josh Sweat had a couple nice plays. Uh, uh, Trayvon Hester showed up. So uh, it was good to see a bunch of those young guys continue to make plays. Deshaun Hall, uh, another really good night. I don't know what they're going to do yeah. with defensive end. You know, we, we keep talking about, okay, you've got your top three in BG, Vinny, and Derek Barnett, how, however you want to stack them. That fourth spot feels wide open, and Deshaun Hall feels like he, he's really seems like he's really playing himself into possibly being that guy for mm-hmm. the Eagles. And again, look, Josh Sweat has had a very good training camp, and yep. he's flashed in the preseason. It's not like he's completely disappeared off the map, but Deshaun Hall has really taken his game to another level here uh, in the in the preseason. All right, so uh, Ben, you got one more final thought before we move yeah, on? Yeah, just collective thought about the roster, and you know, sometimes it gets to be some tough decisions. Is it this receiver, that receiver, this edge rusher, that edge rusher? And we kind of hate to see some players go. These are good problems to have. Right. And yes. I don't like to look at this as any sort of negative and we have some tough decisions. These are good problems to have. There's some players in Eagle uniforms right now that are going to play some meaningful snaps for other teams this year. Right. And these are just good problems to have. This is what happens when you have competitive rosters and you're consistently winning. I think this is just things to get used to around here. And we're going to keep stacking the bottom of those depth charts and we're not going to be able to keep them all. But the fact that we have competitive players and it's tough choices on the bottom of the roster. You'd rather have that than the opposite. Exactly. That's exactly what you want. So uh, before we move on to the next part of the show, really, again, the number one way to support this show, go on to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitch or wherever it is, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. Tell a friend. We appreciate the word of mouth as well uh, when it comes to supporting our shows. But uh, any support you can give us. If you've enjoyed these daily podcasts from training camp, a lot of you have gone on to, to iTunes and left comments. 
continue to do so. Go and let us go and let us know how we're doing with these daily pods. We've got this one, and then tomorrow, and then that's it. Training camp, uh, in terms of the media's portion, is over. So uh, that will be the end of the daily podcast. However, We've got my third and final uh, NFC East preview. With my, I talked with Bob Stern from The Athletic uh, about the Dallas Cowboys. That'll drop on Wednesday. So we've got three more shows. We've got this one. We've got tomorrow, the final training camp recap, and then Wednesday with Bob Stern. Then we return with, uh, with Greg Cosell on a weekly basis for the regular season, which Ooh, will be you, a lot of What are you doing next week? Uh, I think I've got an idea for next week. I don't want, I don't want to say until oh, it's okay. official. I think I've got an idea for okay. next week. So uh, we'll get to that. But like I said, a lot of you have done a really good job of going on and left comments and, and questions. And I've got two questions here uh, from listeners. First one, Donnie Boy 94 what game this year do you see as being really close outside of the division? Because the division games are always close. So outside of division, what do you see as the tough games for the Eagles? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out my handy dandy Eagles official app because I know that the you. schedule is right, right, really readily available. You don't have it memorized at this point. No, I don't have it memorized. I, just, I, I mean, know we play Washington week one. That's about all I got. <laughs> I, I was I will look at Atlanta in week two because mm-hmm. I li- I think a lot of fans are thinking oh we've had their number. They're basically a division team. We play them in the right. Green Bay yeah, like every year. Every like, single year. I think it was year. Atlanta, Detroit, Green Bay. Kind of an interesting uh, three week span there yes. in uh, non division games. But so we play Washington, Atlanta, Detroit, Green Bay. That's, now Atlanta's prime time. I think it's Sunday night. Uh, yes, I believe that's correct. And into correct. the Jets and into yes, the Vikings. An interesting night. little stretch yeah. of non-division games. So right yeah. right there off the bat, you know, you hope you get off to a strong start against Washington, get that win in the division, get to 1-0 in front of the home crowd. Land game is going to be tough. I mean, again, you go back to we knocked them out of the playoffs in the Super Bowl year. We opened as the Super Bowl champions with mm-hmm. another tough win to yep. start off 2018. This is, this is a team, though, that pretty much brings the same roster consistently year in and year out. You know, Matt Ryan's still one of the better quarterbacks in the game. You still got, you know, keep Julio Jones in check, even though we've been able to survive those four yeah. downs the last couple right. seasons. So, a case on a couple of these, you know, New well, England. Well, that's what I was going to say. So, like, you, you come too. by like, from the bye, they have a week 10 bye, you come back from that, and it's uh, New England at home, Seattle at home, on the road, Miami, uh, which you would say, oh, okay, you know, the Dolphins. But, like, you go on the road to Miami, that's not easy to go on after those two tough games. Yeah. And then you've got four division games to close out. So, uh, for those like you know everyone that says oh you know that's like a uh, what do they call those the the games that you look past um, the, uh, trap games. the trap games yeah. like that's like Miami going down to Miami November. late November Miami. like it's they might be nice. like a rabid animal by right. then like, like you don't know what they're capable of so that's it's it's gonna be fun it's <laughs> look we, I'm excited to get into the grind of uh, of the regular season to get into the the, the weekly routine question there, Don, all right boy. so yeah. we've got uh, another question here from right him this is a good one I actually asked this to Ben in the beginning uh, in the beginning of the day when I was getting the show ready. So this training camp series from Francie Mac and Ben is, is the best intel. As much as I love hearing you your takes from practice, the in-depth practice notes are a must-read. So, Will, appreciate you listening you. and reading. Uh, go check out our practice notes every single day. Again, tomorrow, the last one. So uh, Tuesday, the last one until next year. But, uh, Fran, I wanted to follow up with you uh, on a question that I asked on Twitter about Jim Schwartz using a 3-4 look and a 10-10-10 since the strength of the Eagles' defense lies in the defensive line and DBs. Real quickly before I continue the question, Anything with a 10-10-10, you've got to kind of take with a grain of salt. And I know Will knows this, but just want to expand, uh, yes. explain it again. Because the defense at that point is giving the offense a look that they want to see. So, so Doug Peterson, the offensive coaching staff, says, hey, we want to see some odd front looks. Defense says, yep, sure, for this period we're going to give you some odd looks. So anyway, I th- wanted to bring that up before we continue the question. Again, the strength of the Eagles' defense lies in the D-line and DBs. Do you think Jim Schwartz could use a 3-4 front in dime personnel? So five defensive linemen and six DBs as a new NASCAR package. You might hear that and say, well, what are you talking about? So 
the defensive line would be Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Tim Jernigan, Brandon Graham, and we'll say Derek Barnett uh, with Malcolm Jenkins and Avante Maddox as quasi-linebackers over the ball, and then you've got your corners and your safeties to, to round out the 11. Uh, how would that look dictate the offensive line protection scheme was the question from Wilt. So I posed this to Ben because I was like, all right, Ben's going to – Ben's going to like – Ben likes the big philosophical question. He can tell he's deep in thought now about He's deep it, in thought so. now. I know there's a couple different ways we can kind of go with this. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of different directions with this question. The traditional dime packages are 4-1-6. You right. usually want to have one linebacker out there as opposed yes. to having a five-man front and six defensive backs. You usually need that linebacker to be a second-level defender to still counteract the running back on the field on the offensive side. But that's the name of the game in the NFL. You want your speed you want and speed your pass rushers out there, and you want your guys that can cover. And you yep. get to third and medium, third and long. That's pretty much what every defensive coordinator is doing with their with their schemes, getting guys that can cover and guys that can rush the pass here. Now, the ins and outs and kind of the chess match with it, can you get the five front with six playing behind you? Sure, it's different. We've done some five-over-five five looks where we have kind of yeah, we have uh, five guys down on the line of scrimmage. Traditionally, that isn't with six defensive backs. It may be like a 5-1-5 five, five type yep. of defense. Um, but again, the looks on the front may not always be what you see either right? because there's a lot of reduced fronts where it's a 4-3 defense, but that one defensive end is just scooted inside. Right. That linebacker's down on the line of scrimmage. It yep. looks like a 3-4, but it's actually a 4-3 with a reduced front with your Sam linebacker down on the line of scrimmage. I feel like the look of defensive lines is one of the most misconstrued things from fans. Mm. Even just like certain defenses like Dom Capers runs or uh, Wade Phillips, where it's actually a 4-3 under, but it looks like an odd front. Right. So yep. it's actually like a 3-4 single gap scheme. Um, so it gets a little too convoluted yeah, in there, well, yeah, whether sure. you're two-gapping no. and single-gapping and whether you have four guys on the line or five guys on the line or whether it's a reduced front with your backer down. A lot um, of the 5-D line stuff you'll see you'll see in today's NFL, but it's more of a bare look. Yes, yeah. And that's more to stop the run, prevent double teams, prevent pulling, stuff like that. So exactly, you wouldn't necessarily yeah. see that in a dime package. So that's why, to me, if you're going to start talking about all right, how we're going to affect protection schemes – if you're going to go 5D lineman, you're not going 3D tackles. You're saying, all right, like Josh Sweat, you get in there. Right. Uh, you know, the but I guess the answer is question, how does this there. change protection if yes. they had just the 5D lineman? Sure. It really doesn't. Yeah. You're still going to have to set a mic point. You're still going to have to slide a direction. You're still going to have to account for the five most dangerous if you're the offensive line. Maybe a bit of a different front, but it's nothing crazy, exotic, psycho defense, Aniba, guys walking around, moving around. That's much harder to dictate and decide protection than just having a five defensive lineman uh, front to him. You're probably just thinking, what offensive line is going to be able to handle protect, protecting that left to right one on one? In theory, that's what it is: is you're creating one on ones, and that's yeah. the beauty of the, that five over five look. But, right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, look. It's going to be fun watching this defensive line because I think you're going to see it come out in waves. You know, those guys are going to rotate it and out. Uh, we've seen a lot of the we've seen the depth uh, this year, this summer uh, along that defensive line. Uh, I think that'll do it, guys. I did uh, have one stat here: Cam ooh, Johnston one for one passing today. <laughs> Not going to say how it happened. <laughs> Just I think there were a <laughs> Well, here, but, but I learned he's left-handed. Yep. That was the thing. That one for one. We I'll, were, I'll check the passer rating when I get back to my desk. But Yesterday during the 10-10-10, I'm Ben sure he's and I got were the walking out, iced. and Ben made a point that we don't do enough in like the media world of just evaluate, like, 
analyzing special teams and like no, we don't. all the different things that kickers and punters are working through during the course of practice. And I don't, I don't it's want not, to see It's not yeah. even special teams. I've, I'm literally the meaning the specialists, the yes. kickers, and just the detail they're going through. And I would just like them to vocalize. Here comes a golf analogy. Yeah, right kind of what oh. they're going through and just the details of their kicking. Yeah. And I watch them pretty closely sometimes, and I see Cam Johnson going with a, a one-step setup, a two-step setup, the different ways he drops the nose of the ball on his foot, the different spins he could get, the way it bounces. I want to know what their thought process is and what they're working on. Otherwise, you just see those kickers out in that third field kicking the ball around, you just think they're the specialist kicking it. They're working on things. It's as detailed as golf swings. And if your feet are like <laughs> this, and suddenly that next rep, you put that front toe out, something different happened. You can move your hands forward, change your grip, change your posture, your follow-through, your backswing. Same thing with kicking. We just have no concept on what they're working on. But I promise you they're working on things. I would just like to know and to be a little bit more transparent and kind of let the, let people know your thought process on, yes, I'm trying to get a bounce here. Oh, I'm trying to get a spiral kick here. Oh, I'm trying to get a sidewind spin. I'm trying to get it to check. Oh, I'm hitting a directional kick. There's so much to it, but we just don't have any concept over what they're thinking. Well, that's why I rely on you. When you and I do go golfing together and I put one like 30 yards into the woods, I ask, I say, Ben, like, what, what did I do there? I don't, I don't know, but there's a lot of things we can look at that may be affected why that went. We'll have to check the we'll 100 check the yards tape in the woods. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I think that'll do it. Uh, another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Again, we'll be back tomorrow uh, for our final training camp recap. Wednesday, Bob Stern breaking down the Dallas Cowboys. You don't want to miss that. Really, about a 45-minute conversation, I think 30 minutes or so on that Dallas offense. So uh, a lot to talk about uh, with the Cowboys, the big rivals in the NFC East. All right, that'll do it again. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.